What is up, guys? Welcome to Close Monday. My name is Kyle and Sarah, and this is the show for restaurant owners, for chefs, for culinary students, for startup restaurants, anyone brave enough to take on the challenge of running a restaurant and the pursuit of being what we like to call a restaurant entrepreneur. This is your absolute lifeline, your go-to for real world, no nonsense, in-depth chats and war stories from people who have been in your shoes. Now, you're all on the same quest here, looking for that perfect solution, that perfect piece of technology that's gonna streamline your operations, the killer marketing strategy, the new social media platform that's gonna put your restaurant on the map, the rock solid suppliers who've always got your back. But let's not be naive, there's a lot more to this. Most importantly, things like capital raising, making sense of insurance, and playing real estate like a professional, that's all part of the package. And one of my favorite parts, by the way. But what you need to understand is that each one of these challenges, they're really just opportunities. And as industry veterans, myself, my guests, we're gonna bring battle-hardened knowledge and cutting-edge insights to the table every single week. We've been in it. We've had our neck on the line. We've lost money, we've made money. We've had staff, we've lost staff. We know how it impacts our personal lives. We're gonna help you navigate this entire business. Our goal, sole goal, is to give you the information to reach your goals while you stay true to what's most important to you. And what I know, what's important to you are things like quality, hospitality, innovation, sustainability, staying ahead of the curve, staying up with trends, and of course, providing an unforgettable guest experience. So whether you're a seasoned professional, you're a restaurant entrepreneur, or you're a rookie about to jump into your first business, grab a seat, pour yourself a drink, a cup of coffee, put your AirPods on, grab the dog, go for a walk, hit the treadmill, sit on the couch, whatever you're gonna do, we're gonna drop some serious knowledge on you. And it starts right now. Welcome to Close Monday. Hands down, the most embarrassing mistake I made as a restaurant owner was hiring the wrong accountant and trusting that he was doing the right thing. Now, the main thing that he was in charge of was sales tax. And long story short, didn't get paid, didn't get paid on time, didn't get paid in full. And our little 40 seat restaurant wound up owing the state of New York $180,000 in sales tax. But that was before Davo. Davo automates your sales tax. It integrates with your POS, so it automatically sets aside the sales tax funds daily. Then, when it comes time to remit these funds to the state, Davo files and pays the sales tax for you on time and in full. You know, it's easier. Take a little bit out every day as opposed to this big chunk due at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter. It would have changed my business, would have changed really my life. Because let's face it, when you're running a restaurant, those bills that are due, they keep you awake at night. Not with Davo, it's all taken care of. So it integrates with your POS. So whether you have Toast, Square, Clover, Lightspeed, uh, SkyTab, uh, whatever you have, Revel, they integrate with them and they're adding new partners every day. So you never have to worry about sales tax again. In the show notes, there's a link where you can schedule a call with the customer success team. Let them know that you heard about Davo on the Close Monday podcast and they'll hook you up. Never worry about sales tax ever again. Keep your eye on what matters, which is running your business day in, day out, and let Davo take care of the sales tax. All right, Justin, this is it, man. We finally made it here. You, I appreciate you uh, stepping aside from the business, as is um, as is the case in this with this podcast. And you're running a business; it's tough to juggle the time. So I appreciate you carving out carving out a little bit of time for us here today. No doubt, man. I wouldn't miss it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So you and I never actually. Well, we spoke that one time. Yeah. And I think you guys have a super cool concept. And uh, before we get into that, though, what what was your first job in the restaurant industry? Man, my very first job in the, in the restaurant industry was, well, backing all the way up, I used to kind of like under the table, bus tables at a, at a barbecue restaurant uh-huh. that my, uh, like my mom was a server at. Oh, and nice. I would just kind of go and like clear shit off the table and the servers would give me five bucks at the end of the day and I would love life. And that that was good. But 
first, I guess, legal job <laughs> was also like my first job. And, and that was, um, I was like 15. I was however old you have to be to work. And um, I got a job as a line cook at a nursing home, which wow. was awful. It did nothing to instill any sort of passion in the industry. Not a lot it of creativity there. No, nah, it was it was a little depressing, but it, it took um, a lot of pureeing things. But it uh, it kind of it took me a couple other jobs um, to really kind of get bit by that bug. But but really, I've been I've been working in restaurants since I've been old enough to work, and even before a little bit. There you go. I mean, if you can enjoy cooking in a nursing home, you're you're good. Yeah, right. right. That, that, good. That's tough to get a lot of lateral movement in that job. But you know what's yeah. funny is that. My first job too was as a busboy. Yeah. And I remember my buddies had like back when like, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth grade, nobody had any money unless your parents gave you a couple bucks. And two right. of my friends had some cash. I'm like, where the hell did you guys get this money? And like, oh, we're working as as a busboy at this place. And I went there and like all the waitresses were like smoking hot. It yeah. was a brewery, it was the coolest place. And yeah, I I was like, I love this. I never never want to leave. But I remember all these trying to negotiate like is this going to be under the table or am I going to be like, I'm like, no, you're on the books. I'm like, damn. All right. Okay. Yeah. So that was also my interest in taxes as well. Yeah. Once I started working in jobs where like you were walking with like cash in your hand and even matter how much it was. And when I was young, I was like, yo, like, man, I actually, yeah. a little, a little, I'm somebody now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got, I got $25 in my pocket, you know? So <laughs> that was, that was big for sure. Yeah. My daughter just had that first experience. She's a lifeguard. And okay. She, her check was like four hundred bucks, but it was like two ninety three after taxes. She's like, "Well, what the hell is this?" And we yeah. like, my wife and I were cracking up. So that's another major lesson in life, right? <laughs> it really is, yeah. So you start out as a line cook guy at the nursing home. Yeah. And then how how did you how did you get out of that gig? How long were we there? First of all, I was I was there for maybe a year, you know, and I started kind of like bouncing around a little bit, and then. um it wasn't until I was probably like 19 or so, maybe 18, 19. I start, I got a job at like um, also back of house working like uh, the fry station at like a, a wing joint. You know, it was, it was a place called Quaker Steak and Lube. And it was kind of like a regional chain, like um, kind of, uh, I guess, automobile themed. But, you know, they did like big towers of onion rings and, you oh. know, um, they called them lube tubes, just gigantic tubes of beer. And, oh. and, um, you know, I was basically responsible for, for frying shit and putting it up <laughs> in the window. And that was kind of my first experience that was like fast paced that I, I kind of got to see, um, you know, kind of how the front of house and the back of house work together, how it can be easy when both teams are pulling their way, how it can be difficult when they aren't. And I got to kind of see, how a restaurant operated. And then from there, I, I kind of moved to the front of house as soon as I was old enough. You know, I started working in kind of support positions. And then when I was 20, started, you know, 21, something like that, started bar backing and then eventually bartending. And then the bulk of my experience the last decade plus has been on the bar side of things before. Oh. So you escaped from the, from the back of the house and you're like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I I did, uh, and then I've I've gone back to it with Tony and Pete's, but it's mm -hmm. certainly all of my the bulk of my like real the real heart of my my professional experience, and the same with my wife, is front of house, um, is bartending specifically like cocktail bartending, um, you know, bar managing, beverage directing, just bar operations. So that mm -hmm. is way more our wheelhouse. But with Tony and Pete's, wanted to kind of keep it adjacent to that, um, but do something that maybe didn't allow us to work till four in the morning and um, kind of we're a little burnt out from the bar side of things, but yeah. we had to make that pivot back to making food, making sandwiches. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's, it's cool until you get older and you realize this four in the morning stuff is actually not that fucking cool. It's a lot Man. cooler to experience life during the daytime. I remember that when I first started owning my business and I could get out during the day mm -hmm. or rather at night, on like a weekend, I was like, wow, this is, I haven't felt this feeling before. It's definitely like a unique feeling. Because we're, you're so used to working those crazy hours and, and adjusting your life that when you pull back out and you see what, what life is really like, it is a little bit of a shock. It is. It wasn't until the pandemic. We were living in Chicago at the time and the pandemic hit. And, um, you know, I was managing like a, a big bar and then 
at first it was like, oh, you're furloughed. And then it was like, no, mm -hmm. we're like all the way shut down. And it was kind of real murky. And we got, you know, I got laid off. And it wasn't until that point happened that I was like, well, A, that was kind of like the birth of Tony and Peach. We started like writing a business plan to like move back to Dayton. We didn't know what bars were going to look like at the time. So that was kind of a big inspiration for for Tony and Peach. But um, also that was the first time that I was like kind of forced to take a break to sleep more normal hours to to not have my my nervous system overloaded with um you know things that I had to do in the moment very quick you know for the first time in a long yeah. time and I basically you know let my my uh body heal from all that and then we kind of pivoted and went straight into Tony and Pete's so Tony and Pete's I mean it's such a unique concept from what I've gathered I mean we'll definitely get into like your branding and your social media because I think it's really like a master course for, for a lot of brands. So Thank let's you. talk about the, the idea and where it came from. Yeah. So in March of 2020, Kathleen and I were, were really close to opening a bar in Chicago. We had an LOI on space. We were like very excited about it. We were just going to kind of take all the experience we had gathered and, and go right into doing it for ourselves. Kind of the trajectory that a lot of good bartenders want to want to be on is, is one day opening their own spot. Then the pandemic hit, like I mentioned, and it kind of picked everything up, shook it up and threw it back on the ground. And, and we wow. didn't know what was what. I didn't even know at the time. This was early, early days of the pandemic. I didn't know what bars were going to look like for a while. And, right. um, you know, we started looking at our family still lived in Dayton, Ohio, which is where Tony and Pete's is. And we started looking at, could we move back to Dayton? And like, hey, like, could you actually do this? Could we do this? And we agreed that, like, we wanted to be near our families. But we made a pact with each other, like, if we do this, then we have to work for ourselves. And we're like, okay, do we open a bar? And I was like, well, we don't know what that's going to look like. Like, let's write a business plan for, like, a really good quality old school sandwich shop that also has kind of a neighborhood grocery component. And there was a lot of shops like this in Chicago that we basically subsisted on during the pandemic. Neighborhood shops where you could pop in, get a good quality sandwich, some good vibes, get a beer, um, you know, get some grocery staples, what you need. And um, there were some places that were hugely influential for that. And so we were like, what if we did something like that in downtown Dayton? And we thought Dayton was starting to experience a bit of a resurgence. We kind of banked on the fact that after the height of the pandemic was over, things would start to look a little bit more normal and we could be part of this kind of like new wave that was happening in Dayton. And um, that's kind of where we arrived on that. And then we just kind of figured out a way to make it happen. So um, it was pretty much born out of, out of the pandemic and our desire to kind of shift away from the bar side of things because of all the uncertainty that was happening. So that's really unique. And, and I think important for people to understand is you put together a business plan basically on the spot to, yeah. to adjust for the climate, right? Mm. Talk about what went into that business plan and why it was so important. Because I think so many times people are like, I don't, you know, I, I know what I need to do. A business plan is not going to do anything. I just, I just got to go out there and execute. Tell yeah. me how important, or maybe it wasn't important. I don't know. Maybe you could be like, duck this business plan. And we never use it. But tell me yeah. about how you use that to kind of open the doors. Yeah. Well, we had gone through the process before because we were trying to open a bar. And so we went through that process, but we didn't really... We didn't really master it. And I wouldn't say we've mastered it with Tony and Pete's, but we learned a lot. Like we used um, a platform called LivePlan, mm -hmm. uh, which is essentially, you know, business writing software. And what they do is they, it's like 20 bucks a month and it, it's well worth it because what they did is like force you to look at things, you know, from uh, not only kind of an operation standpoint, but like a logical standpoint. It's like, hey, on, on Tuesday how many sandwiches you think you're going to sell, you know, and it, it kind of like lets you do these simple exercises that they then yeah. plug into, you know, more overarching uh, numbers. And so the business plan for us, it was important for us from the beginning um, to not just write something that would secure a business loan to not just, um, you know, do something to, to say we had one so we could get some, some funding. We wanted to use it as a roadmap. So we tried to make it as accurate as possible. Like, and of course, it was all hypothetical because the business didn't yeah. exist yet. And it was the pandemic and we didn't know. So um, we kind of tried to make it accurate. And I'm happy to say that like we've blown all those numbers way out of the water. It was it was uh, That's a good super feeling. conservative. You know, we thought we'd sell way more groceries than we did sandwiches. And 
we're selling it's the exact opposite. So going through that process was good because we still reference it sometimes. We're right. like, okay, we're on target to do this number. How does that work in relation to what we thought it would be? You know, where's our labor percentage sitting at now that we actually have a year under our belts versus what we thought it would be? Like, how many people does it take to bring this thing to life versus what we thought it would be? So we we tried to make it from the beginning a real living document that we could go in and edit and kind of use as a guide to not only like, you know, give us an idea, but to like keep us on track. And I think the other piece of it was we put the numbers together, but we also created like a lookbook. You know, we also created like inspirational places um, that we had visited um, no matter where they were kind of even just like color schemes, kind of fonts that we liked, basically a big Pinterest mood board kind of thing that we were able to show like, Hey, here's what we think we can do in terms of the numbers. And this is what we want it to feel like. Yeah. So people weren't just looking at words on a piece of paper. Mm. It had a feeling from the get go. Yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah. There's so many things in there that I'd love to touch on because number one, I think anytime we help somebody with a business plan, they're so concerned that like, Oh, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know how it's going to go. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't know how it's go, but like to your point there, you put down what how, what you think is going to happen. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like a, it's obviously a living, breathing, like organism, this thing, like, this is what we thought was going to happen. Let's use it as our guideline. But as you start to roll with it, you start to find out that things are not exactly going to plan and exactly. we're going to have to adjust to make it happen. And I think it's just, for me, it's the process of just getting it out, like getting yeah. it all out. But the look and the feel is so important because mm-hmm. people that's how they connect with this this business. People forget what they had at a restaurant, but they'll remember the ambiance, the experience, the interaction. What did you use? You said you mentioned some restaurants. What were what were your inspirations for for Tony and Pete's? Man, well, there's two in particular in Chicago that kind of had that old school cold cut sandwich shop um, and little grocery element down. And those were a spot called JP Graziano in the West Loop in Chicago and uh, Bari um, Italian Subs and Grocery on Grand Avenue in Chicago, very close to each other. And um, they just got it right. You know, they had both been kind of legendary businesses, been there for a very long time. And so we respected the hell out of what they were doing. And then stylistically, you know, there was other elements that that we wanted to take from other places. But I'd say those two were, you know, the biggest inspirations in terms of like, Here's a little grocery part. Here's like really good quality, old school cold cut sandwiches where every element is mm-hmm. thought about and every element is great. And um, then we kind of filled in the rest based on our own personal style and what we wanted the branding to feel like. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's how it's done. It's, it's a real exercise. And I think that having that inspiration, you know, people always think like, oh, you know, I, I want to be inspired by them, but I don't want to, you know, beat so much like them. I think it's just absorbing that information and going through your experiences and really hashing out, putting it on paper, what you want it to look like. And part of that, obviously, when it gets down to the nuts and bolts of it and the financials and everything is the real estate. How did you guys come upon this location and how did you figure out, and this is always a sticky point, like, Hey, I, I made up these numbers, right? Like, I, I don't know what these numbers really are. I think this is what I can afford in rent. Talk to me about that process and how you guys went through it to figure out this location? Man, it was a lot of like being in rooms with people feeling a little bit out of our, our element, you know, and just like um, asking questions that, you know, could be potentially deemed stupid questions and kind of not giving a fuck if they were, if they were stupid questions, you know, I mean, we, um, we looked at like probably 20 spots and none of them were really quite working for one reason or another. We had a couple that we liked that didn't pan out and, we finally came across the space that we're in now, which is on Third Street in downtown Dayton. It's kind of like a burgeoning neighborhood. There's a lot of stuff filling in around us. We have really good neighbors, a lot of food and bev concepts that are that are opening by like young entrepreneurs that are hustling, that are like doing really good work. Like we're all creating a little neighborhood and it feels really good and it feels really vibrant right now. But we came across this spot finally just from like poking our head around and, and putting it out there that we're looking we looked at it, you know, we started learning about like a tenant improvement package and what kind of price per square foot we should be looking at, what's mm-hmm. feasible, you know, what we'd be actually looking at in rent, what a triple net lease was, all this terminology mm-hmm. that like, you know, when you come from the food and beverage industry, you might be really good at that piece of it. 
But then all of a sudden you're getting a crash course in this real estate jargon and this construction jargon and all these things that you're just kind of expected to know. And I feel like I could see the potential for a lot of people being like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That works. Cause they don't want to look stupid in that room yeah. with a bunch of people who may not know food and beverage, but they know all the terminology about real estate or construction, you know, and they don't speak yeah. up and all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit, that's what they meant. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's kind of where we arrived. It's just like asking questions. We kind of made a pact with each other. Like, hey, if we don't get it, let's tell them we don't get it. Yep. Let's tell them to explain it and explain it again until we fi figure it out. And then it's a lot of research on your own and it's a lot of kind of hoping for the best, but Eventually, you you learn enough that you're able to make an educated, you know, guess at least, or put yourself in a better situation, um, just from getting a crash course. Yeah, I mean, when you get into those rooms and you're having the conversation with brokers and with uh, landlords potentially, and they're slinging around triple nets, cam charges, um, all these things, it's very easy to say, okay and say, you know, what's the monthly rent, right? Like that's that's what so many restaurant folks say to me is like, well, yeah. what's the monthly rent? Well, I can tell you what the monthly rent is, but you need to understand, and you touched on it, triple net leases, mm -hmm. right? Like those triple net charges are significant. Yeah. And I think that what most folks don't realize is that they can change over time. Right. So talk to me about how you learned about that and was it a deciding factor one location or the other? Because I know it can be a lot based on the type of landlord and the neighborhood you're in. Yeah, I mean, I think I think so. We we worked with a developer on on this project and, you know, we had heard the term triple net lease thrown around a lot. You know, the first thing you do is you Google it. What the hell does this mean? You know, you kind of figure out roughly what it means. But then you're like, oh, you know, cam charges, like you said, like, OK, what is uh, you know, you got common area maintenance, but like what constitutes a common area? And it's like there, you realize quickly that there's no one size fits all model. You know, it's going to be different based on who you're talking to. And so I'd say, you know, the triple net lease based on everyone that we had talked to was was fairly standard for kind of the situation we were going into. We talked to our neighbor. We were fortunate that our, our next door neighbors um, are a really good restaurant. And they're young mm -hmm. dudes that, that made it happen coming from the industry too. And they went through the whole process we went through with the same builders, same developers, everything nine months before we did. So uh -huh. we, we powwowed with them almost religiously like, yo, okay, we're starting the build out phase. What are the things to look out for? What was your experience? Who should I talk to? How does this chain of command work? You know, and it's like, okay, with your lease, does it say this? What does that mean? Um, if it says this, can this change? Like, what yeah. should I have my lawyer push back on? Like, so really just asking what feels like too many questions yeah. um, to the point where you might feel like, Hey, sorry, it's me again, no matter who you're yeah. talking to, but I'd rather be in that situation oh. than looking back like, yo, I didn't know what any of that shit was. I yep. just signed up for this and I'm hoping it works out, you know? So no. yeah. Ho hope yeah. Is, hoping is not a plan, right? It's not a strategy. I think it's easy to like, realize the the severity of this decision when you if you can put yourself in a position and for anybody listening is like nobody in that room gives a shit what happens mm -hmm. anywhere down the line right like if something happens in the restaurant you can't be open for a couple of weeks or something happens and you don't want to be in the business anymore or can't be in the business anymore you're still liable for that lease it's exactly. such a big decision and to understand it because Triple nets are so enticing for landlords because it allows them to put all of the expenses on the tenant. Right. So meaning anybody who's listening who has a triple net lease, they love you because you're paying all the bills, all of the bills. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. make sure you understand what, what, what's included and what's not. I think that's great that you said that. I think you, everybody listening can take a cue here from Justin because asking those questions they're not stupid questions it's is very confusing and a lot of times if you don't have the right broker it's confusing on purpose almost right yeah say. and you can find yourself in situations whether it's a developer or a landlord whoever that you know they're talking they might fast talk you they might talk above your head they might make it sound good get to, they want to get a tenant in there you know especially one that has the potential to stick around and generate you know some some positive attention in their area and their building but like you know tell them to slow down Tell yeah. them to, to say it again. Tell them to explain it in a different way. Tell them that, you know, that's not what you spend all day focusing on is this terminology that they went around. 
Yeah. And if you were to sit there and talk about, you know, the restaurant industry in this way, like they would be lost too. Yeah. So oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's consequential to not take action there. So you got to be able to like, be like, yo, I, I don't understand that. I want to make sure I know what I'm getting myself into. Please explain that again. in in you know, maybe a little bit more streamlined way. Yeah. Know? Because it's easy. <clears throat> it's kind of like a car dealer. They'll say this car is, you know, it's only going to cost you $700 a month. Okay, I can afford yeah. $700 a month, but what is it actually costing over the life of the right. lease or the life of, or over the year, right? Like $5,000 a month, $7,000 a month doesn't sound like a whole lot, depending on how much you think you're doing, but start figuring out what it looks like for a year and back yourself into it. It could, it could really be a significant number. It is really a significant number and it doesn't change, right? Like business up and down, that rent stays the same. So, yeah. Um, all right. That's, there's a lot of real estate lessons in there. I mean, did you, I mean, did, were you talking directly to the developer or were you talking through a broker? Directly to the developer. That's great. Um, and you know, which was, which was nice. There was not a middleman, but you know, there's, it's a development firm. They have their own interests. So they have, I'm talking to, you know, this person that represents this portion of it, this person that represents the construction arm, this person that represents the real estate yes. arm. So it can get confusing. And more than one time I had to be like, yo, Give me one person to talk to and answer my questions, you know, yeah. otherwise I'm not doing this. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's a great way to approach it. Did you, did you get any tenant improvement allowance from your developer? We did. Yeah. Yeah. We got, you know, it was, it was pretty generous. You know, I, I think it, it was like maybe $40 a square foot, you know, so it was good. Again, it was the height of the pandemic. Um, I don't think a lot of people at this, at this time, a couple of years ago were, rushing to open businesses. So right. I think that we did take advantage of that. And um, by the time we opened, you know, the worst of it, knock on wood, was was behind us. Yeah. So we kind of were able to dodge that. But even going through the build out and, and kind of getting everything settled during the pandemic impacted it, I think, in our favor, um, because I think that a lot of play, a lot of developers, a lot of landlords were a little bit more eager to get tenants in there because there had been a bit of a slowdown in that, you know. Oh, yeah. So you had to build out from a raw space. There was nothing there. Yeah, completely wow. raw. So did you use an architect and a designer and all that stuff or did you wing it? Yeah, no, we used, you know, one reason I liked working with a developer on this and as other opportunities start to come our way, we're actually now getting a crash course and like, what's it like to not work with a developer and kind of have to seek all this stuff out yourself. But they had a, this developer had an architect that, you know, you go, go through the process with them. You're basically, you work with the architect, you're passed on to this person, that person. So it was cool, um, but it has its own challenges for sure. Oh, yeah. And so we worked with an architect in terms of the design, you know, we kind of just, we did it ourselves. You know, the space was a big concrete shotgun space, mm -hmm. you know, 2,100 square feet. We're like, okay, we know we need to create a back house. We know we want to put some curves and some angles in here to give the space dimension, you know, mm -hmm. to, to make it work for what we want it to work for and look how we want to look. And um, so there was a lot of it, like us just tell, Hey, we want to put this curve here. You want to do that there. And we just kind of did it until it makes sense. And, and sometimes it didn't work because of some code or, you know, some entity that wanted you to have, you got to have two restrooms with this kind of liquor license. You got to have this kind of, you know, gap for ADA compliance, all these different things, you know, so it took a long time, but um worked with an architect and got the permits approved and just kind of kept trucking until we were at the next milestone and the next milestone and the next milestone. Then finally it's open. So how, how long was that period from identifying the site to lease execution? Man, uh, probably a little bit too long. You know, I had to kind of, you know, bust the chops of the developer a little bit, you know, they kind of dragged their feet on a few issues Definitely lessons I learned, things not to let slide that maybe I did let slide the first time because I didn't know. Right. You know, but um, I'd say we signed the lease um, and then like a maybe like a year and some change later, we got the spot open. So, wow. you know, took a minute, you know, the build out itself took several months, you know, close to six months maybe because um, we were starting from nothing. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know had that. And then we had a period of obviously getting everything in there, getting the cosmetics, getting wow. the staff in there, getting the inventory in there, getting everything R and D, getting our systems. And then finally we opened July 1st, 20, 
22. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like when you're working, there's, that's why there's such a huge uh, interest in like second generation spots, right? Like, cause it's oh, right. some infrastructure and finding that stuff. But I think as a first time operator going through that process, that is, even though it's probably hell to go through, mm-hmm. you probably learned a lot there that, like you said, you're gonna be able to carry on. People are gonna be able to pull some of these things that they were before because you understand yeah. the timelines and the expectations, right? No doubt. <laughs> so I, mean, I learned a ton, really. It was, it was just like, you know, there's so many little pieces that you're just like, that doesn't make sense. Like why I shouldn't be walking in, in knowing like the deadlines that I've imposed and see nobody on the site, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah, and like so things funny. like that. So you do have to usher things along sometimes. Yeah. Um, even working with a, with a developer, you know, but I think the lessons that you learn and kind of the pieces, cause you don't want to overstep. You're like, okay, this is the construction dudes stuff. I don't want to tell him how to do his job, but at the same time, like this is something that I'm paying for. This is something that, you know, ultimately is my business. So finding the line of like, when do I apply pressure? When do I back off? Like that is stuff that was invaluable, all the intangible stuff that I learned. Yeah. And working directly with the contractor, you know, a lot of that stuff can be frustrating, you know, lead yeah. times and things come, it's the wrong size or it's the wrong product. And Shit, you're that yeah, back and forth. absolutely. Like, I just want to get in there and get my hands on this product. So yeah, talk to me about what's happening now. What, what's business like now and, and how is the, the concept evolved since, since that beginning, since last year? Yeah. Well, we just hit a year. Um, we did like a fun promo, like, um, the last week of June. Yeah. I saw that. yeah we, we tried to get, you know, drive business, um, because any sandwich or, or bottle of wine or t-shirt purchased that week, gave you a raffle ticket through the raffle tickets in the box. And we gave out free sandwiches for a year to a winner. So that That's was cool. a lot of fun, a cool way to celebrate, but things have been good, man. They've been, you know, progressively busier. Uh, every number that we originally put in the pro forma, has been exceeded. Um, we're Perfect. starting to look at new opportunities are starting to present themselves. We've added hours. We've added to the team. So we're definitely going in a way that we feel really proud of. Um, mm-hmm. And we had a little bit of a shuffle at the beginning, looking for the kind of the, the right people that we wanted to kind of work alongside every day. But mm-hmm. we absolutely have those people now. Wow. And um, they've been with us for, for a minute now. And um, so I feel like just, I tell everyone, I'm like, I don't feel like it's gotten any easier, but I feel like we've gotten a lot better at it. Mm-hmm. And that can make it feel like it's gotten a little easier, you know? So we're still, yeah. Kathleen, my wife and I are still in there every day grinding, um, but we're kind of in a phase now where because these opportunities are presenting themselves and we're looking at ways to slowly replace ourselves on the schedule, you know, doing the actual shift work from a day to day and we have to a large degree, but there's still some holes we're trying to fill, which is like a whole new phase of the business. At first, it was just like, all right, just get open. Then it was like, all right, get open and, and do it in a way that you feel good about. And then it was like, all right, now we know what normal is, but now we're busier. So now we're our PARs have been blown out of the water. Our staffing levels have been blown out of the water. So how do we adjust and how do we kind of like operate within the new normal? And it's yeah. like, oh, you hit a little bit of a lull. How do you account for that? Because you hired some people to deal with the fact that you were busy. Just like the ebbs and flows have been the biggest thing. And and like, for me, it's like riding the middle has been what I've been trying to, to get better at, you know, not getting too high when things are good, not getting too low when, when things are slow or whatever, because it does always turn around. And there's been times where we've like strung together a couple, like just excellent months and we're like, Oh, we're killing it. Like we figured this out. And then of course it like a little bit of a slowdown, nothing bad, but a little bit of a slowdown can happen. And you're like, yo, you know, it's, you don't want to feel like, oh, the world has fallen. Like, so just right in the middle and making the best decision for the business and for your team and for yourselves every day um, has been always the goal, you know, top of mind that we've gotten better at for sure. That's a, that's another key part is it's, it's never as bad as you think it is, or it's never as great as you want it to be all the time. I think it's that understanding that it's all going to pass one way or the other. This downtime is not going to be forever. This uptime is not going to be forever. But you start to figure out the ebbs and flows. I remember with my restaurant, I used to be able just to look at sales for a day of the week and be like, that's a Tuesday. That's a Wednesday. That's a Friday. That's a Saturday. Yeah. And then by the months, you start to get this feeling and you're, you just live it. You breathe it. And I think that's the only way. I mean, I think if you're trying to go on to multiple units, 
mm. to have that level of understanding is invaluable because you're a hands-on operator, but you're also looking at a 50,000 feet saying, I get it now. I get what it's like to live that rush. I get what it's like to live that lull and I get to, I feel it on the financial side. Like I know what it's like. So yeah. talk to me about your roles and responsibilities right now. Are you, are you, you're, you said you're actively running the business now. What does that include? Are you at the store? Are you, you know, doing the bookkeeping? Well, what, what is your role right now? Yeah. So I'm fortunate because Kathleen, my wife and I, we have largely the same background, you know, and, and having managed other people's spots for so long was, was so such an invaluable tool for this. So like right now I'm kind of like running the the back of house. Kathleen's kind of running the front that entails doing all the ordering, all the receiving, uh, you know, crunching all the numbers, kind of making sure that we're using the right technology and um, having the right things in place. I'm, I'm doing a lot of the hiring. I'm doing a lot of um, the personnel kind of culture pieces, which are very important to us. Kathleen is kind of um, focusing a lot on, the numbers and the book, we have a really good bookkeeper, but kind of bridging that gap between us and the bookkeeper and the CPA and kind of keeping that all in line. A lot of that is Kathleen. Kathleen and I both kind of collaborate on the social media output and things like that. So it's, it's a little bit of everything. I think we're kind of operating as like de facto general managers right now. Um, and we're kind of getting, we're slowly passing the reins over on certain pieces of that to some trusted kind of key personnel that we have in place. So mm-hmm. right now it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot of management experience or responsibilities. And then we're also kind of, we're working a, you know, a couple shifts a week, kind of staying in touch with everything. Like just today, I just worked, a, I just sliced a shit ton of, of meat <laughs> and cheese. And then I just worked through a, a big portion of the lunch rush before I, I ran home real quick <laughs> to do this. So Still doing a lot, yeah. um, but a lot of a lot of management and kind of uh, you know supervisory responsibilities. So where where do you see where do you see this ending? What, what's the end goal for Tony and Pete? You know, I think a lot of it is kind of broken down into like milestones. You know, I, I always keeping in mind the end goal, but I think it's like okay, within two years we'd like to do this, want it to look like this. So I think like the phase we're in now is like replacing ourselves on the day-to-day shift work so that we can push everything else forward. Um, I, I never kind of, I didn't open Tony and Pete's thinking that it could be like a multi-unit concept. I just was trying to do the one, just trying to make the one as best as it can be. And that's still my goal. But mm-hmm. there has been some people that have been like, yo, we would love a Tony and Pete's in our area. We would love a Tony and Pete's here. And so I think that we're looking at those opportunities right now and trying to be smart about that. So I think that the big picture is I would definitely love to have um, multiple of these things. I don't know if that means two. I don't know if that means five. I don't know if that means 10, 20. You know what I mean? Like I don't quite know because that part of the picture hasn't filled in yet. Um, so, but we're actively working on that. We'd probably want to maybe eliminate the grocery component. That's been a little bit more uh, of a challenge than have the sandwiches and kind of just have a smaller footprint and just kind of, try to take on some of these big sandwich shops. And cause I think there's room for like a, a local really quality kind of hip soulful sandwich shop. And so that's what we're trying to do now is, is try to make sure that like the heart and soul that we try to inject into this place, how we make people feel, how the music sounds, how the room looks like everything that we consider um, is kind of scalable and we can translate that guest experience into the right communities. And then I think we're also, going to do a bar we thought we weren't going to do it but we're looking at doing a little neighborhood bar as well so nice yeah so who who is in charge of the social media and the branding because i think you guys a phenomenal job of thank you portraying that brand and telling that story and like really giving me and anybody who's looking at it a look inside the experience who's who's running that show Man, thank you. Um, I think that we, well, first of all, we worked with um, a really good guy out of Chicago um, named Jude that does a lot of branding. And we had some mutual friends, so it was easy to link up. And he kind of listened to us. There's a lot of back and forth. And so he developed the logo, the branding. He put together a brand book, which is another thing I would Highly recommend to anyone starting a business, work with somebody, allocate the money, you know, spend money on a brand book because then all of a sudden it's like you have, you know, you have a logo, of course, but you also have 
your brand colors. You also have your brand fonts. So then when you're creating anything, whether it's a, a carryout menu or an Instagram post, you can pull from these colors and these fonts and you make a cohesive brand yep. right off the bat. And so everything that even like the way we sticker the sandwiches, we put a little Tony and Pete sticker on before we sell it, tape it, label it. And that brand carries throughout. So yeah. that's the easiest way to be consistent is just have it all packaged from the get go. So Jude put together our brand book for us based on our kind of wants. And then the social media was something that we were a little not sure about at first because neither Kathleen or I are like big on our personal social medias, but it just kind of started to, to work. And so we do all that ourselves. Like it's sometimes I could see where people would say, Oh, it looks like an agency, but like we don't do an agent. We don't have a social media agency. Like we do everything ourselves from planning the post to taking the pictures. We work with a really good videographer named Jake Turner, who's a local guy here in Dayton that we've developed a great relationship with now that we've been focusing on like reels and, and kind of short videos. So Jake does a lot of that for us, but it's all just like us grinding and figuring it out. It's not like a, some social media agency, just trying to make people feel, feel the shop, you know, without yeah. having been there. So, so would you say that that has played an important role in the growth of the business? A hundred percent. You know, I think that every day we get people, Oh man, I've been following you guys on Instagram. Yeah. That's why I came in here. And it's like, there's a couple things to that. Like, first of all, like I should back up. Like when we were doing the branding, someone taught me early on, like we looked at this concept. We looked at Tony and Pete's Tony and Pete's are real people. Tony's my dad. Pete is my wife's dad. We named the shop after them, but we looked at Tony and Pete's the sandwich shop as a, as a person. If they were a person, what kind of clothes would they wear? What kind of music would they listen to? What kind of yeah. shit would they be into? Does that make sense for Tony and Pete's the person or does it not? And that informs a lot of our decisions on, should we use this language when we post? Should we oh, use yeah. this kind of angle? So that that's what we do. Um, and then I guess, the, the, we remind me of the question again? I'm sorry, I got off. Was it, was it, is it beneficial to you? Are you? Oh are you yeah, it has been beneficial because- I think that that we just want to invite people in, invite people in before you've actually been there. So when you do come, you feel like you kind of know us and you feel like you kind of know the experience. And then hopefully it lives up to that experience. Um, Cause what we don't want to do is just be like, Oh, it's a glossy Instagram brand. People like to, they like to look at nice pictures of sandwiches, but then you go yeah. in and it's not the same, not you know? So it's always so important to us that, yeah, it has to look good on social media has to look, that cross-section has to look just as good when you buy that sandwich in the shop, has to taste, you know, even better than it looks. So that's always yeah. our focus is closing that loop, you know? Otherwise, what's the point, right? Like I said, I said exactly. like, if it looks different, every, you know, that's the one knock on all this stuff. But I, yeah. I think it's like, to me, when when I look at it, I realize that it takes time. Didn't realize that you guys were doing yourself, which is even more impressive. How do you go about prioritizing it? Like, just because I know people listening are like, oh, I don't have, how, how do people have time to do this? So how, how do you prioritize it and make time for it, considering that you're still working shifts in, yeah. in the business? Man, sometimes it's really not easy. You know, I'm not going to lie. Like that, that's part of the reason that we're trying to just like free ourselves up a little bit more so we can like put all of our effort into certain things like this. You know, I think it's like um, we've gotten better at it, but it's just putting, you know, figuring out things to highlight. It's like, Hey, we're really proud of our staff. We really like our staff. These people see these faces when they come into the shop every day. Uh, they help bring us, bring it to life every day. Let's highlight this. Let's create a yeah. video. Let's create a series around this. Hey, we want to do some like feature sandwiches. Let's make sure we get like a good picture of it. And let's make sure that we keep that interesting and engaging, you know, like let's make sure that like, um, some of these really lo talented local artists that we work a local sign painter that does all this hand painted branding for us. Like let's highlight that. Like let's just create a, a mood board. Basically um, finding the time is, is there's no science to it. We're just kind of like doing it. Sometimes we look up we're like, Oh shit, we should, we, we haven't posted in a while. We should have posted, but we don't have any sort of rhyme or reason. It's just trying to, put stuff out there that we're proud of never trying to rush a post just because we feel like we haven't posted something. Mm. Um, and just trying to stay engaging, you know, respond to 
comments on photos, you know, try to just get that engagement and let people know that like there's people behind this. It's not just someone posting a bunch of glossy pictures. So, yeah, we we talk about, I think, you know, my buddy, Sean Walchef, we and I talk about all the time. It's that digital hospitality. It's, we now have the ability, you you guys now have the ability to connect with your guests outside of the four walls of your restaurant. Yeah. Just that sentence alone 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it was like, what? When you calling them at their house, like how, how are you yeah. connecting with these people? So I think that's a, it's a key component, and, and for me, I can see that being a major attractor to landlords and developers and investors looking for you. Like, wow, these guys really have it dialed in because having those brand colors on point, having that messaging, like you alluded to, those are all very key components that landlords since the pandemic are picking up on. They're like, do these guys have their act together? And they're loving these emerging brands like like yours, which are been through been through you know the ups and downs of of starting the business not and have survived and put out a good product and if you get the branding and the marketing the digital part it's it's really just what seals the deal for them no doubt so we're coming up on our end time here i have to ask you i said i wasn't going to ask you any hard-hitting questions but i'm gonna ask you <laughs> one hard-hitting question Lay it on me only because i've done it yeah talk to me about what it's like to work with your wife Man, uh, there's, it's hard. It's it's simultaneously really hard and really easy. I think um, we don't always get it right. We don't have a a magic answer. And I don't, I don't think that there would be a one size fits all approach for any couple. Um, On the one hand, it's, it's the best thing in the world because I get to spend a lot of time with my wife. Uh, Probably too much time. You know, I I see her every day. Um, We are in sync on a lot of decisions that we have to make for the business. Um, but there are considerations that we have to have when we come home sometimes, like we, it's, it's hard for us to be like, okay, we're in like married couple mode now that's making dinner after a long day at work. We're not going to talk about all this, the shit that was stressing us out all day at work. Like it doesn't work like that as, as much as people say like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta draw a line and, and set boundaries. It's like, yeah, of yeah. course you do, but it's easier said than done, you know? So it's like, we try to adhere to that, but like, we also are just like, look, let's prioritize like being a couple, being a married couple, you know, always treating each other with like respect and love, especially, you know, if it's in front of staff, it, you know, it's like always um, speaking to each other, even if, you know, we want to kind of beat each other's throats, always <laughs> approaching each other with respect and kindness. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you do have to like make time to like, look, let's go out to dinner. Let's like try to put this aside for just a second let's do something for us um and i think that we're we're making it a priority so i I do think it will get you know even better down the road but like it's a struggle like the first year especially when you're just like you're grinding at work all day and then you come home and it's just like you're trying to be a normal person but you know obviously you got a trillion things to work through so and, you know, having a day where you can kind of like be normal people together is big, but also understanding when the other one may need alone time, you know, right. yeah. it's just like, yo, do you want me to I'll run out and go to the grocery store if you just want to chill for a while? You know, like yeah. that stuff goes a long way when you're with each other every second of every day. So I wish I had a, a more like, oh, you should do this, but it's just do the best you can stay full of kindness and respect and love for each other. And hopefully it sorts itself out. That's a big piece. I mean, I think it's because not easy to, you don't just flip a switch when you get home, right? Like your head is yeah. still on what has to be happened tomorrow, what just happened that day, what's happening a month from now, bills that are due, your bills, the restaurant's bills. Yeah. It's a challenge. So, so shout out to you guys for, for making that work. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, you know, we're, we're coming up on the end here. What, what, where can everybody find you social media wise, website wise and in person, obviously? Yeah, we're we're located in Dayton, Ohio. We're at 129 East 3rd Street. That's where the physical shop is, downtown Dayton, Ohio. If you haven't been to Dayton, check it out. You know, it's a it's an emerging, really cool, gritty little Midwestern town. And um, you know, we have Cincinnati and Columbus and these other kind of larger, cool Ohio towns around us, but Dayton's something special, especially right now. And then online, Tonyandpeets.com at Tony and Pete's. Um, you know, Instagram is at Tony and Pete's. So Check us out. Give us a follow. Kind of get a peek into what we're doing, and then hopefully check us out in person one day. Yeah, that's my goal. I know 
a lot going on in Ohio, man. I have a, a active client out there, so I know there's certainly a lot going on there. But Dayton definitely seems like a very cool up and coming kind of spot. So I'm yeah, actually gonna make my way out there one you day. You got to get out here, dude. I love to see you out here. And I got one last thing, and then hopefully this is what what everyone's gonna take away here is yeah one piece of advice for somebody who's kind of maybe in that startup mode right now. Maybe they haven't signed a lease, they haven't kind of identified a location, but they have an idea for their vision. What's one one quick piece of advice that you'd give them? My quick piece of advice would be to, it's maybe cliche, but don't doubt yourself and just do it. You know, a lot of people in this industry, they daydream about opening their own spots. And when you finally have put in enough legwork to get to a spot where you're in a position to maybe sign a lease or you're, you're in a position to secure a, a business loan or whatever it may be, like, don't let the magnitude of that situation get you so shook that, that you back out. Because you're only going to regret it. And you may not know all the answers, but they will present themselves kind of milestone by milestone. So my advice is just like, don't, don't get scared. Just do it. Keep moving forward. Yeah. That's great advice. One decision at a time. Don't get overwhelmed. I think it's exactly Well, look, man, shout out. I look forward to staying in touch. I look forward to getting out there one day. Um, Congratulations on the one year anniversary. Thank you you so much for the sandwich. We, we did. Yeah. Yeah. We put a little reel up and we, we contacted her. It was, it was cool. Cause she found out the same day that we told her, Hey, you win free sandwiches for a year. She also found out she was going to have her first child. Ah, so it's really cool. So her and so her husband, what's that? She'll be well fed. Exactly. Her and her husband are coming in, um, every month or every week getting their sandwich taking a picture of it in the same spot and they're kind of documenting her pregnancy that way. I thought that was super cool. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's a great idea. I love that idea. Thank well, you. Cool, man. Thanks for the time. I know you got a lot to get back to. Thank you, brother. Appreciate um, you. Yeah. We'll be in touch. And uh, if I can ever be a resource, please feel free to reach out. It means and, a lot, man. I will. Um, yeah, I think you're a real, real, a lot, a lot of takeaways here guys for anybody who's going through this right now, or maybe thinking about heading down this road um it can be done it can be done absolutely so there it is thanks justin man i appreciate it thank you so much man i appreciate you later on all right